our unseen artists, and we are giving the stage to underrepresented voices. I'm Courtney. And I'm Noelle. And this week, join us as we explore all of the heights and the crevices of Notre Dame as we discuss The Hunchback of Notre Dame. I assume many of you are familiar with the story, but if you're not, (laughs) it is about a man who has a hunchback and has been locked away in the um, bell tower, clock tower of Notre Dame and not allowed to really see the light of day. And it develops from there. So while this show never made it to Broadway, which we will discuss, it did have a lot of notable productions. It was first produced by Disney in Berlin and it was called Der Glockner von Notre Dame. That is the worst time I did it. I did much better before we got on here. But it translates to the bell ringer of Notre Dame. And just like the Disney movie, it the music was done by Alan Minkin and the lyrics were done by Stephen Schwartz. They worked on all of the productions, every iteration. It's their music and lyrics. Um, the It is based on the book by Victor Hugo, as are all of the adaptations that we have discussed and will but the german book is done by james lapine who you may know from into the woods falsettos and passion all all shows he's won awards for um or of his partnership in writing with stephen sondheim and williams finn the american book was done by peter parnell who has not done a lot of other stage shows he has, however, done the stage show for Cider House Rules, the musical. Huh. Um, I have not seen the movie, but my dad loves it. And I did not know that there was a musical stage version. But there is. And or I think it's in two parts. Huh? Or is it a play? Is it a musical or is it a play? I thought it was a musical, but it's possible that it is not. I think it's a play because it's just says there's nothing listed here for oh he's done some things with playwrights horizons interesting it looks like he works mostly on television now yes so he's better known for things such as the west wing he did season one and two and he did the show the guardian which i'm the only person on the planet who has seen it but it was a good show highly recommend (laughs) great show great show i mean i watched it like two months ago but it's a great show my dad watched it when it was on that makes sense that makes sense um yeah so this is this the show was created um like i said by disney and it is the first disney production of a show outside of the u.s initially they had wanted to move lion king over because of how well it did in the u.s But then they decided, I think, I don't know if it was finances or whatever, they decided that this new show that they had decided to put together was the one they were going to actually premiere in Berlin instead of Beauty and the Beast or Lion King. And it ran from 1999 to 2002, I think it said. And it had 1,200 performances. And it was actually Berlin's, one of Berlin's longest musicals ever. And then the one that we're going to talk about today came out in 2014 
and was the first was the premiere the u.s and it was at la jolla and that's that's the one we watched so there's not a huge amount of differences between those two shows the one that came out in berlin was a little bit darker it had darker elements to it as did the original book that we did not read because it is 600 pages but i want to read it i also want to read i well i downloaded it and i read two pages and then i was like not today (laughs) but it's going to be an over over time read um so when they moved to the u.s they did i guess disney fight a bit more they took some of the darker elements the way that um esmeralda and froyo die and such and they don't die in every iteration that they do in the u.s Hmm. most of them they still do but they don't in all of them and then they did add a song or two i don't i know made of stone was one of the new songs they added when they came to the u.s but again they're still done by alan minkin and stephen schwartz so nothing new there and then they also had a big production at the paper mill playhouse in 2015 their most recent production was done in 2022 in vienna so it's still traveling the world I find it funny this is like unrelated to anything but I find Mm -hmm. it funny that this French book was first produced in Germany of this French story (laughs) as we talked about before the show I also found that strange they actually practiced it in English before translating it into German that is production (laughs) wild see and i was interested in that because when i saw that there was the german production with the german you know i learned about this five minutes Mm -hmm. ago because i i don't do the research you do um i just watch the things and have opinions um (laughs) but uh no it's uh i was like okay this german is it in german but james lapine wrote it but okay did he write it in german no he wrote it in english and they rehearsed it and cast it in english and then they translated it into german that is the wildest fun fact (laughs) yeah yeah that is absolutely insane i don't understand it at all but i guess because they had the intention of moving it to the u.s even though it was quite a few years later that it came to the u.s yeah because the movie came out in 96 so the stage show came out in 99 it wasn't that much longer yeah um then 2014 but is when they it they came to the u.s yeah yeah another 15 years later so it's much more modern than i than i expected i mean i guess it is a more modern disney movie i guess too in the in the classics age it's one of the more modern ones um so makes sense hmm. so i had no idea that it was a stage show until within the last year for sure i did not know about all of these adaptations i knew that it was based off of a book because i knew disney was based off of usually other things i don't know that i registered it was victor hugo until recently so these are all very new things and for me so what, what about for you what was your experience with the hunchback of notre dame before today um well i watched the mood the disney movie when mm-hmm. it came out and I really liked it. It's one of my favorite Disney um, like soundtrack, the music. And of course, it's Alan Menken. So yeah, my two favorite Disney music scores, I guess, um, for the Disney movies are um, Hercules and, and Hunchback. Um, 
And so uh, with the show, I I sort of remember it being in La Jolla or I remember hearing about it because San Diego, like the La Jolla Playhouse is maybe like an hour, an hour and a half from where I lived. Um, So I didn't go down there a lot, um, though I kind of wish that I had because they do do a ton of like new stuff and a ton of like really big um things that become really big uh they do a lot of really nice stuff down there um so i wish i had gone down there more but um it wasn't that far from me so i remember when they were doing it and then yeah just a lot of um i i knew the music um i got the soundtrack or the cast album after it after they did it um with the the after paper mill had it mm-hmm. So, and so but your dad was already living over here. Were you living here when it was a paper mill? No, no, it was at paper mill in 2015. 2015. I moved here in 2019. Oh, I thought you lived here before you moved to Alaska. I have no sense of time or space. I did. Oh, I moved to Alaska right. in 2021. That's right. And to move back. No sense of time and space in 2021. <laughs> So was your dad living here in 2015 when it came through? Yes. Yes. Okay. Because um, he moved here in like 2011, but I don't think he saw it. Um, I don't think he had season tickets then. Or maybe he doesn't like to go to the theater alone. Generally, mm. he likes to go with somebody. So like, unless he's going to see like, he'll go see Broadway shows by himself sometimes. But um, yeah, he like we had season tickets to the Pantages. Um, he used to have he had season tickets um, to theaters with my godfather and then with my aunt um, for a long time when I was growing up. And I know he's like had season tickets with like other friends and stuff uh, to go see stuff. But yeah. So I don't think he even saw it. Um, if I had been here, I absolutely would have seen it and he would have gone with me. Um, but uh, that was the whole thing with her. I mean, we have season tickets anyway, but I really wanted to see Hercules um, mm-hmm. when it came to Paper Mill last year. And so my dad was like, I don't really care. But like, if, of course, we'll go see it. And because we had season tickets, I think last year was actually the season that we debated not her he was thinking about not getting the season tickets because he's like i don't know if i want to see all of the shows that they're doing you know we've seen rent before we've seen you know and i was like but i really want to see hercules (laughs) so um we ended up doing it anyway and it ended up being good because then we were able to see um a lot of stuff and it ended up being um fun but yeah anyway yeah it was always one of my favorite disney movies also and i just like really connect with the story and so it i would love to do this show it's one of my dream shows uh to do and uh i haven't been able to do it yet but hopefully someday what role would you want to play esmeralda i mean i would like to play esmeralda but i don't think a white person should play esmeralda personally so um because she wouldn't have been white um so while I would like to actually what I would really like to play, I would really love to play Phoebus. I'd be like mm. incredible. Um, maybe we'll do some kind of miscast. I was gonna say we could do that. We could do one of those miscast um mm-hmm. things that I can sing rest and recreation. <laughs> um 
but anyway uh yeah i love i just love the show so much i love the music for it and so like i would totally even just be in the chorus so have you seen it then like oh yeah so um a little bit before i moved so like 2017 ish time 2018 maybe um somewhere around there there were um three productions that happened at theaters local to me um all within the same kind of time period Mm -hmm. two of them like overlapped a little bit and then the other one um was a little bit later uh but yeah so i went to see all three of those one of them i actually saw twice um that i got really lucky so and i had like friends in it which was nice too um in all of those productions and yeah but i am glad that i watched uh the la jolla version also because it's interesting because it's a little bit different they did change it a little bit um for i guess when it went to paper mill they changed a little bit of it some of the music um a little bit and um i think they did improve upon it they uh, fixed or not fixed but like they changed some of the songs a little bit one of the 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 main change that i noticed was at like the brothel when they were um when they were having their their horde there i thought the mute the music that they have that's on the album from paper mill was much more of the vibe than the music that they had in the original production it was like a little mm-hmm. bit too like peppy or something and like <laughs> i don't know the the vibe was not quite right with it and so yeah but oh god i love it so much um i know this incredible so patrick page is amazing i love patrick page um as frollo um i have a friend bill who uh did one of the productions um and played frollo uh at stage door rep and he is just when i first saw hades town with patrick page and i was like i would love to see a you know another production done with this and i think uh, i thought of ways that i could like direct it and like have it i wanted bill to play (laughs) to play hades just like patrick page and so i'm like okay so basically you guys are the same person in my head now cool patrick page and bill great you can play all the same parts because they have like that (laughs) nice deep uh bass Mm -hmm. uh voice but anyway um yeah it's um it's funny because that character is such like a like you really hate him um but you need such a good actor to play this character that like everybody hates <laughs> i um, felt like speak speaking of this character though i feel like the movie i hate him i hate him from day one every second Frollo, yeah no question not a problem but there were moments in the play that like i hate him but then he says like he's almost kinder to quasimodo than he is in the movie yeah. And I want him to turn a leaf. Like I want him because they have, this was something I was reading. I do not know which one is the book version. I do not know which one is which stage version, but there are two different versions of how he gets Quasimodo. And the first one is that, you know, all of the Roma women are there and he's just murdering them all. And Quasimodo is the son of one of the women he murders and because of his guilt, he adopts him and he like raises him as his own. And you see like him play out with the guilt throughout the whole scenario. And it doesn't, it never ends well, but I'm, but I was more hopeful because it's like, he tries to do his best still. 
And then yeah. the other version is that his brother was sleeping with one of the women and became and then she became pregnant and i think she still dies but i don't know that he killed her but his brother like runs off yeah that's the stage version that's the stage version and so he feels like he has to like keep up with this child now and that one's a little I don't want to say like less sympathetic because he does kill his mom in the first one. And that's like not great, but it seems like he's almost more of a sympathetic character because he's trying his best still, but I know he's not good the whole time and it's never with good motives. Even when it is run from guilt, it just, he feels a little softer in the stage version than in the movie, which makes it more conflicting about how I feel about him, which I think makes him a better character. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I just, I found that very interesting. These, these two different elements. I think maybe it was the book version where he like, and maybe the the version in Berlin, maybe where he kills all the women. I don't remember. Cause I feel like it was in a stage version. I just don't know which one. Yeah. It's um, I like that element of it, of having him be like related. And so that's mm-hmm. the whole thing with the stage version that Johan is like, this is my son he's your blood you need to take care of him because i'm gonna die um and in the stage version she dies but of um smallpox um which is what johan is dying of and so yeah it's very interesting where he sort of like fights with himself about it but i think the show is in in interesting comment on well there a lot of interesting comments but one of the big things that they ask sort of at the beginning and then again at the end is what makes a monster and what makes a man and it's sort of this comment on what which i think is so fucking relevant now of uh religion Mm -hmm. um and the this like big thing that we see especially with like evangelical christians and like how you know we're not the same type of Christian or whatever, which is stuff that people right. say to me that I always laugh at. I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. Me and Jesus will be over <laughs> here. You and your fucking judgment will be over there. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's um it it's so interesting because yeah, he is like the the religious one and he has to do mm-hmm. all the good things and whatever. And it's like, I think that line is so telling at the beginning where he, you know, he takes quasimodo and he says this is god's judgment uh, or this is god's judgment on you this is like a trial for me um to to take care of this this being you know this creature or whatever monster and the way that he treats him yeah like he is he did take care of him on the like most basic level of like he gave him food and shelter but like did that is that really like taking care of him did he really love him you know like and so I think that that these are all like very important like questions and And I think that's the way Victor Hugo wrote it was more of a comment on religion than we do see in like the Disney movies and such well that's such a thing for him too he has that in um a little bit in Les Mis also it's like this comment on on religion and if you're really you know doing good and that's the thing that's so powerful 
in um Esmeralda's song um God Help the Outcasts because they're showing all of these people right you know she's never been in this cathedral before she's not religious she's looking at how beautiful it is you're seeing all of these you know people who come every week and kind you know go to confession and do their whatever and they're you know praying for wealth and fame and fortune and success and all of these like things that are just for me and she says you know I ask for nothing because I can survive but you know help my people help the downtrodden help the people that you claim to love and help you know in the bible and who are constantly struggling you know and people like Quasimodo like you know, and it's so it's just it's so interesting because even now we still and you see it in the um, the way that the townspeople react. And it's very powerful to see on stage um, when the townspeople who are, you know, in and out of this, um, you know, the, the Feast of Fools and they let all of this craziness come out and they go, you know. When they let that mask go down, they. Yeah become you know they get crazed and incensed and they start like throwing things and you know do it like they so easily get taken over it really shows that um that uh what's it called like the mob mentality right of of when other people are doing things then you you get sucked up into that like feeling of it but it's like it's that like us versus them because you can see this like physical difference between like you and me. And uh, I feel better about myself if I can put you down because you're, you know, gross and it'll be fine because tomorrow I'm going to go to confession and everything else would be great. You know, it's, uh, it's, there's just like so many levels to this show that I find so fucking powerful. Um, And I just, Oh God, it's so, I, I sob just, ask my friend James who I went to see in one of the productions and he went with me to another production and was like holding my hand as I'm like sobbing one of the the first one that I went to see I like was sitting in like the front row and um and so at the end I'm of course like sobbing and they come out and stage door repertory theater is this very small if you saw our what do you call it our uh fundraiser that we did that was at stage door um, so it's like this close, like the audience is really close to the stage and it's very mm-hmm. intimate, which is very nice. Um, but yeah, so I'm sitting right there. I'm like bawling. My eyes are like red and puffy. And my friend, of course, comes out to do his bow. And he's standing like right in front of me, looks right <laughs> at me. And I could just see him react to the fact that I'm just like sobbing. <laughs> just like, I just, it, I'm just a crier. Okay. I cry. Um and yeah oh my it's just so like it's so moving every time like and the made of stone is so powerful like all of these songs are like so freaking it's so relatable like so powerful and i just oh my god and it moves me every time well i mean it's because it's so painstakingly well crafted because you take this 600 page book that i assume is a comment on society a comment on how we treat the outcast a comment on religion and all of these things and you press it down into the i mean the disney movie is an hour and a half the stage shows two hours um and maybe a little bit longer in some senses but like you have to press it down like i went and i was like 
what if I listen to the audiobook? So I, was, I found on Amazon Classic, so I could do the audiobook or read it for free with Prime. And I was like, this will be good. That audiobook, 24 hours long. I was like, I don't even have enough hours to listen to it if I wanted to. Well, like, so if I put it on two times. I know, but I was like, maybe they'll read it a little bit faster. Like, at two times, I think it was like 11 hours. And I was like, well, I could read this faster than if I listened to it. And so you have to pack all of that down into this two hours. Yeah. And they just crafted it so well. And I mean, I'm obviously it's not word for word, but I assume it keeps a lot of the same element and you have emotions throughout. There's no, there's nothing that feels like it was put there on accident or to fill a hole. Right. Like made of stone wasn't in the original in Berlin, but it was added when they came to the U.S., but it's so powerful that they're that he's like, you're made of stone. He's like, but, and they're like, but we thought you were made of something stronger. And it's like <laughs> that, that line got me. And I was like, this is insane. Like how Every time. intense all of this is. And it's, I don't know. It's just such, it's such a great story. And I will say, so when I was a child, this came out when I was four, I guess. And I didn't, I didn't care for it. It was a bit too dark for me at four, but it is the darkest um, Disney movie probably still. There are sadder ones, but this is probably the darkest one still. Um, and so I just kind of shied away from it. I didn't really watch it a lot as a kid, but then when I went to Disneyland, we went to Disney world for the first time I came back and I was like, I got to watch a Disney movie. I don't know which one. I'm just going to push play and see what happens. And I watched The Rescuers and The Hunchback of Notre Dame, two movies that I didn't really watch a lot as a child. <laughs> and I was like, wow, this movie's really good. Like, mm-hmm. How come no one told me that this movie is as good as it is and is, is like as powerful? And now I've seen, I've watched a few times since. Just It's kind of become one of my throw it in the vault, watch it randomly. But um, so it's so impressive how they were able to make this stage show everything that it was yeah and so now i i cannot wait to read the book but it's gonna take me a minute but i can't wait to read it i know i want to read um, the book now too um and what's interesting because i read the synopsis um mm-hmm. you know victor hugo wrote les mis also um or les miserables and they made that a stage musical but they really took like just a small portion of that book and made it the musical and they really kept everything it seems like that happened i mean they made some changes and like like kind of cut out a character and like stuff um, you know changed some of the relationships and made it kind of happen much quicker but yeah it you know they keep you know the, the the whole story pretty much in it for the most part um it's really the relationships that they that they changed which is like they kind of changed those for the disney yeah. movie anyway a lot yeah, of how, how they're connected was supposed to be like this really terrible like misogynistic guy apparently in the yeah. original book and then he comes in he's like the chivalrous, chivalrous like really kind romantic type for the disney movie in the stage play which i like better it's probably well, less realistic but that, you know, <laughs> that rome the romance and yeah. like we've talked about this before i love you know my darkness started early i love this movie i love 
this show. It's I love a sad ending where everybody dies. Thank you, Victor Hugo. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's like, and I, I like that. I know that he, you know, and this is part in the book too, that he really falls for her and she's not, you know, in love with him. And yeah, I, I don't necessarily like the comment that it sort of makes that is like, you can't make the love interest this deformed person. Right. I, I don't like that, but I do like the fact that there's this focus on friendship mm-hmm. Um and that she you know she dies in his arms like his friend um and then there's like the cute little thing or i, I don't know if it's cute or creepy maybe i'm creepy and so i think it's cute <laughs> but the like cute <laughs> little thing about you know years later um they found uh skeletons uh a deformed skeleton um entwined with another one and when they tried to move them he like turned to dust or whatever like that's so beautiful and sad and creepy creepy and and... cute i think it's both i think it can be both (laughs) just like me (laughs) just like you creepy and cute (laughs) uh but yeah it's i don't know i love the fact that yeah, because I'm hor- I'm a horrible person, I guess. I love the fact that like he, you know, Phoebus comes and 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 finds her, and they have their moment together, and they do all the things. But that like she doesn't die in his arms, Mm-mm. you know. And like I don't know, I just I think it's beautiful. Yeah, I I do think it's beautiful, and I think it is a good comment on friendship. And I think it's I think it's one of the Disney movies that strays away from. I know people all the time. They're like. Uh, the first movie that never had romance was Frozen. And I'm like, okay, hold up. Frozen's great. Don't get me wrong. I love Frozen. But like, you didn't have real romance in this one either. I mean, you have your quote unquote knight in shining armor, but it doesn't, it's not in the same sense as like Snow White falls in love with the prince and marries him. Cinderella goes and marries Prince Charming. Like this is a very different tale, not only for Disney, but for this type of story i mean we don't see it a lot yeah where you can still have your but you still have the elements of a hopeless romantic in quasimodo to an extent but also in this relationship that never fulfilled itself between esmeralda and phoebus um yeah it's interesting because well i think that the him being into her or loving her is kind of important because mm-hmm. that is sort of like the theme like all of the men are yeah in love with her and she's sort of just like dealing with this but also if you really think about it like is he really in love with her or is she the first friend he's ever had and the first person who's been nice to him you know yeah. like he's never had any sort of like he doesn't really know what relationships at all are because the only person he has a relationship with is Frollo who is his master quote unquote and like his uncle and whatever and I don't even know if he knows that he's his uncle I think he's more in like in love with the idea that someone cares about his existence and is kind to him and I think that that also is beautiful and sad in its own way because you know there's plenty of people in the world that feel like they don't have that yeah and so it's just I don't know it almost is like 
bringing a bit of hope. I'm going to find hope where, wherever I can, but it's like, it almost brings hope to the story of like, for the, even though those people that feel so alone, like don't give up or give in. Cause there is someone out there like yeah. to help fulfill you. I don't know. I, and that was the big thing too, that it's like, he said, you know, friends, I'm your friend. Like you're my friend because all of the friends that he's had are basically imaginary terrible people. Yeah. Oh, the or not real. Yeah, that too. Yeah, the (laughs) all the the gargoyles. The gargoyles. And made of stone and you know that whole thing. Um because like what do you do when you if you're you create, you know create something in your head when you have no nothing there right um i do want to note um a couple of other notable cast members that you may or may not have noticed um you mentioned patrick page who played hades in hadestown um sierra renee who most recent her most recent role on broadway was jenna in waitress 2021 um eric lieberman who is everywhere and might be running broadway i don't know he is literally doing everything and is on every board it seems um but he doesn't ha- i'm not seeing a lot of like big roles for him like this is one of his more notable roles hmm. but he does everything um he's in the revival or was in the revival of merrily we roll along i don't know if he's in the broadway one or if he was just off broadway oh. but yeah he's like all over all over and last but certainly not least, this name will sound familiar to you. The guy who played Quasimodo is Michael Arden. Yeah. Who directed Parade? Yep. He directed this last uh, revival of Parade. Mm-hmm. He's a wonderful human. Um, yeah, I didn't realize that it was him at first. Um, like the same when I met okay when I met Michael Arden when I worked on parade I was like I know that name you know like yeah so familiar to me and then I was just kind of like okay I must like know him from stuff and it was sort of like finally connected to me like today when I was looking at it again (laughs) and I was like oh oh okay 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 I know like I know where I know him from I know what you know and so um yeah he got so good and i love he oh god just so good and i like you know i did see three productions of it (laughs) fairly recently all with incredible quasimodos Mm -hmm. um which is such a hard part too you know you have these different like levels and things that you're doing but yeah it i feel like it was just done so well he yeah he's incredible just incredible yeah it was a uh, uh, that was I obviously have not seen any other productions, um, but that one was really well done, and I I'm glad that that was the first one I saw, even though it wasn't live, because I feel like I have a good basis. Because sometimes I never know I never know what I'm getting into when I watch something, yeah, on or off Broadway. If I've never seen it before, I like to have a basis somewhere. Yeah. And this one I feel like was a good a good start. It had such a it had a really good cast. Um but incredible, yeah. incredible people, um, incredible performers. Yeah, they oh god. And like I am really lucky to have seen 
so you know i've seen some bad community theater i've seen some bad professional theater i've seen some you mm-hmm. know really good community theater and you know this is one of those shows i love this is one of those shows i love it so much right i had such like high expectations for it already and so sometimes that's bad because i have these you know right. i've set these expectations really high and you just can't meet them um but i yeah just incredible just incredible productions that I was able to see. And um, the stage door production was my absolute favorite. It was done so well. The cast was incredible. Um, Yeah, that Quasimodo was amazing. Like I said, my friend Bill played Frollo. Um, Everyone was, uh, even the the girl who played Esmeralda was incredible. And she like hadn't done a show in like 15 years or something like that she just like came back and did it on a whim and she was incredible it's just um yeah just some fantastic people um and I just oh god I love it so much like I would see this show over and over and over again if I could I would go anytime I just oh the music is so beautiful the story is so beautiful yeah I just I love it do have a couple of more fun facts for you oh I love Um, them one being this year at Edinburgh Fringe Fest, as we talked about last episode, I'm also talking about in this episode, um, they have done the first Scottish adaptation Ooh. of Hunchback on Notre Dame, which I am very interested to see how that goes. But I mean, it went, it went, it happened already. Fringe Fest already happened. But I found that kind of interesting. And Again, we haven't read the book, so I, I'm sure there are more. But one of the big differences is in the book, um, Quasimodo actually has gone deaf from ringing all of the bells. And so in some productions, most um, uh, most notably, it was in the Sacramento production. I don't remember what year that was. They actually had a deaf actor play the role of Quasimodo. And they've done it in a couple of different ways. But usually they have, they'll, they'll sometimes have like, someone who's like have two quasimodos essentially but a lot of times what they'll do is they'll just have one of the gargoyles sing his part while he signs it hmm. and so it makes it so much more um friendly for the hard of hearing because they're he's signing the entire show yeah and he uh and then they just have the gargoyle sing the parts that need to be sung and i find that so nice that they do stuff like that and like I never, you know, I didn't, I didn't realize that because it's not in the Disney version. It's, it makes sense. I mean, you ring bells that, that long every day. Of course, you're going to go deaf. But well, so it, it is in, so it's sort of written it, kind of like that in the, mm-hmm. in the play. Um, yeah. In the La Jolla version. And so in some of the other versions since then, they did incorporate, he does do some sign, um, but he doesn't sign everything. And so you only, if you only, if you know some sign, do you really recognize it? Um, Like he says, you know, when they talk about Jesus, this is the sign for Jesus, like water, like things like that. He uses, um, he uses signs. What I think would be more interesting, it sort of like bothered me the first time that I saw it because I was like, where would he like no sign from if nobody is signing to him mm. um i did have a friend tell me that he saw a production that had um that the whole cast signed like oh. at, in with mm-hmm. what they were um with what they were doing and so i like that inter you know connection um but what you're saying about him 
having a deaf actor or a or a hard of hearing actor um because that's one of the things with the, with this production too he says you know when he's hiding and she comes and she's like oh no you can't hear me can you and he says like no the bells but i can't you know i can read lips or whatever and then the problem is is that they don't stage it in a way that everything that she's saying he's looking at her for you so it doesn't look, yeah. make any sense so it would be so much more interesting like especially if like frollo signed and maybe even if she signed like i don't know maybe she just knows sign language and make it seem more of like a thing where people actually just would know sign language because that was yeah. always my thing about you know you're never when you're learning another language i should have taken sign language in high school because we they offered it at my high school yeah. um i don't know if i didn't realize that they offered it or something i don't know i didn't take it but i should have because it's like you could potentially come upon people who don't you know who are hard of hearing or who are deaf you could have a child who is hard of hearing or deaf you're never gonna like have a child that speaks french like right like, right you know you could run into random you know people that you come across but like something that would like directly affect your life right if you were to have a child who was like deaf and then yeah. you don't know sign language you need to or like i saw this really cute video the other day of uh people who have a deaf dog and they taught the dog sign language so like yeah. they will sign whatever it is and he knows you know what the signs mean um because he can't hear and so he can't ask you know do you want to go outside do you want water do you need you know hungry whatever and so that's all just i don't know it's just so interesting and so i like I've... seeing that incorporated into more stuff because like that was one of the the greatest things about um well, not one of like ever. I love that show so much. But one of the things that I really loved about uh, for Colored Girls is that one of the characters is played by a deaf actor and signs throughout and sometimes mouths some stuff. Um, and then there's like one scene where somebody else just speaks for her while she signs her story. Um, but most of the time, it's just her interacting with them and they'll sign with her and she signs and it's just part of it and so um yeah i would love to see that done in more productions too because i think that's kind of the intent of it in that original production was you know she he did do some sign and so there have been quite a few productions that have done that but it sounds like that sacramento one or whatever the one that you were talking about um mm -hmm. is like the best yeah and like i feel like like ASL, I mean, sign language in general and every, I mean, every language has a different sign language language right. also. So we have like ASL, then they have like FSL. I assume it's, I assume it's just French sign language, but like there's different ones. And I know, I feel like it's so undervalued, underappreciated in society because like, I never really knew a lot of ASL growing up. I didn't, I was not around people who were deaf of heart or hard of hearing. Actually, one of my like, aunts was deaf but she read language like read lips so well that I never really had to like learn it like I picked up like like thank you and stuff like that because she would say them and like growing but I, I saw it like once a year and um when I was in law school one of Rachel's really good friends she is hard of hearing and she became deaf at like 12 wow. I think or something like she was not born so she also didn't know a lot of sign language and so 
she had a like really hard time adjusting but she would learn it and then Rachel would learn it and then like so just being around them I like picked up some but it's also like a harder it's a harder language to learn in the extent of it's a lot of facial expression a lot of like emotion as opposed to just like using different words well and and like tone kind of what tone Mm -hmm. is is very um yeah like facial expressions and things like that and i i wish that it was used more often i wish that it was more that things were more accessible for people that are hard of hearing and that i've this is not the same but i've been watching big brother and amazing race mm-hmm. and on big brother they have a um a hard of hearing guy who was in like the um the special olympics and stuff for being deaf and he talked a lot about like people don't think about it but they whisper around you and they don't look at you and it's so frustrating and it's like these are things that people don't think about and so i wonder when they're incorporated into like stage shows like how e- how easy it is to not do that but how frustrating it must be and how difficult it must be to like adjust to that for other people if that makes sense like because yeah. I, I think I talked about this um Richard III we went to the like the hard of hearing production or whatever of it last mm-hmm. year and so they had a row of people doing ASL in the um audience but then they also had like some of the cast members did ASL also and I I loved that and that's one way that I think is in a relatively easy way to make theater more accessible for people yeah that's not utilized enough paper mill um so our night that we go is one of the nights I think they have a couple of nights that are Mm -hmm. there asl performances and they have like a section of seats that are reserved for you know people who are deaf or hard of hearing which is right next to where the interpreters are but they also have on the side um they have like captions going so that you can like read it also if you need to or if you can't understand or whatever so there's like that happening and it's interesting because they see things when i saw little prince they had captions going on the side and I thought that was really cool because I was like oh this is you know being more inclusive Mm -hmm. um except that Little Prince is a French show or a French book oh right some of the stuff was left in French but when it was in French they did they translated it to English in the captions which I didn't like because then if you're deaf or hard of hearing you're not getting the same experience as if you're watching it because yeah sure like you could have both you could have the trans you know it in french and the translation but like when we're listening to it we're not getting the translation of the french and the hard of hearing people aren't getting that it's not in english you know and so that kind of like bothered me because then you're not you're not really making it accessible you're not creating that experience the same way you're just kind of anglicizing it i guess and so yeah that's one of the things that i that i love about paper mill that they have performances like that and a lot of shows um or a lot of like other theaters like regional theaters and stuff will specifically have like 
a deaf and hard of hearing, like an ASL interpreted mm-hmm. performance specifically for that purpose. Yeah. And I know that like at, uh, at Lincoln Center, I was going to say, oh, I think they do captioning at all of them, but I don't know now because both shows I saw there were in foreign languages. Like I saw one show in both, maybe both shows I saw were in French when I went. Yeah, it must have been because I saw La Boheme and then I saw the the Cinderella opera and I think they were both in French when I saw them. And so they had the translations and I think you could, you could choose your language, but it was just that straight language, whichever one you chose. Um, so I don't know if Lincoln Center does it for everything, but yeah. Well, I but mean, they have the availability too, so I don't know why they wouldn't. That is cool too. If you can like create, um, have something where people can like choose their own language to get mm-hmm. captions in. Cause that again is creating more accessibility for people yeah. who are, you know, wanting to see something in a different language or, or whatever you can do it, whether it's in English and they want, you know, their captions in French or whatever. Um, I think that it's something that could be fairly easily implemented. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't know why more theaters don't do it. Like every Broadway theater should have like at Actions. least one a yeah. week of mm-hmm. like ASL performances. Like there, there's a lot of people. Like I don't, un- I don't understand. There's enough money yeah. to to pay somebody to come in or to and that's the thing is like have it all captioned or whatever. With these shows, there's like one or two for the run. I feel like of ASL performances. Yeah, and I agree. I think captions like at because at Lincoln Center. They're so they're like just built into the like bar in front of you or whatever. And it's like you just push a button and you can turn them off. So there's no captions running if you don't want them on. You can turn them on. They're not disruptive. Um, I think they have a I'm sure they have like some kind of headset, which I know a lot of theaters have like some kind of headset or something that you can use if you're hard of hearing or I I assume. But uh, I don't know. I just I. I had never seen that until I went there. Then I was like, I don't understand why this isn't everywhere else too. Yeah. Like it just makes sense. And it, again, it's not a distraction. It's not a disruption. And it just makes it more accessible for everyone. Especially like we have all of these people, like not only hard of hearing deaf people, but we have all of these people coming from foreign countries. And sure, a lot of them know English because everyone else seems to know English. We're the ones that don't learn other languages. Mm-hmm. But if they come over here and don't, are they want to make sure they're getting you know 100 they could change it to one of their languages they had like and i mean they didn't have every language on there i think it was like six i think it was like german french spanish english and like maybe a couple more but you know some of the main languages that we see over here yeah and i just i think that that's an easier and relatively cost-effective um implementation yeah i think so like I think a lot of theaters probably have captioning devices. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, like you get, like I've experienced that before too. I have people like complain about people like being on their phone or whatever because somebody has like a captioning device. Yeah. Like just have like captions on the side going all the time. And I get that it's probably a big cost to like put that in the first time or whatever. Yeah. But like, they, I don't know. I don't think that there's a reason not to do it. And I could see like captions if you're putting them like on the side. I could see that being distracting to an extent, but there's no reason to not have them like at the seats either. Like I don't, I feel like that's less distracting and less like intrusive. 
Yeah, but that's um, going to be a lot more expensive. Yeah. And I don't know, like, I don't know what kind of, like, I know there's some theaters you can't alter anything because of historical whatever. And so I don't know, like, that's why they haven't changed certain elements of it. I don't know exactly how all that plays out. No, but, that is not why. Well, then, because I don't they know. have made updates to, like, the fly systems and technology mm-hmm. and things like that you can do stuff like that it's they just can't change like structural things but really mm-hmm. it's their excuse for getting out of like ada regulations and things like that and i have a lot of problems <laughs> with that also that's like, another episode <laughs> that is a whole yes that will be a whole episode at some point because yeah regulations and just god there's so many things in theater that they're just like they just don't you know if it's not affecting people or if people aren't complaining or whatever or like we don't see it well okay well you're not getting those people to come because they're not being you know it's not cohesive for them they can't you know make it work and so it's it's yeah, yeah very frustrating i didn't know we were gonna i was gonna spiral off into this but it i think it just gets so frustrating when you like because it's not stuff i'm necessarily gonna think about because it's not stuff that like affects me but when i see it implemented in a way where i am and i'm like oh this would be so great for other people and it doesn't actually affect like what i'm doing either like this this is helpful for everyone yeah and when i see how easy it is someplace i'm like i don't understand why other people haven't thought of this like it has to have come up at some point you know it's just i don't know they just don't care and that's the worst part it is it is well um we have a few minutes left if you have some more comments thoughts about hunchback Um, yeah it's um I, I like that I've seen some different versions of it because I've been able to see some different things. Um, like I love, uh, you know, we talked about the puppets um, with Avenue mm-hmm. Q. And so one of the versions that I saw of uh, Hunchback did sort of, um, they were kind of like on these columns that were on wheels and then they had the the like puppet and so they had the puppeteers in black kind of behind it and speaking Mm -hmm. it and moving them um for the gargoyles and so that was like kind of an interesting way to incorporate something and this was a production that i saw that was directed by somebody who worked at disney for a really long time um he worked on the um uh what is it called the imagineer imagineers team Mm -hmm. or something like that yeah um he worked on interventions mm-hmm. um and so like that the futuristic kind of stuff but he was like a big disney guy because he worked at disney for so long and so you know in that production there were a lot of elements of the disney movie that were kept incorporated like esmeralda's costume you know the purple um yeah uh the purple skirt and stuff like that um the uh it was a lot more colorful like the Disney version because like the other two productions that I saw kept it a little bit more true to like what the Roma people would have worn, which would have been more neutral colors, muted tones, 
um, and things like that. And so they, you know, that's kind of more how they uh, dressed, how they dressed it up. Um, I saw a production that had separate, like there were townspeople and there were gypsies or the, the Roma people. Um, so like they were two kind of separate casts, which made it really interesting for that one scene um, of the Feast of Fools as everybody gets, you know, overtaken. Yeah. Um, but it's sort of like goes back to what we were talking, what we've been talking about in some of the other episodes of like, you have a lot less to do then you have a lot larger cast with like people doing much less and so when you're like paying all of your actors you're probably not going to want to do something like that because then you're paying way more people to do a lot less work um oh um, yeah I, i'm glad you brought up the puppets because i actually did want to touch on that a bit too um i so i was wondering what kind of puppets they use and now that you said it that's the same kind of style they use in the Finding Nemo show at Disney. And so it makes so much sense that that's like the same, like that guy was involved with Disney for so long and then he's the one that did it. It's one of my least favorite ways to use puppets. <laughs> I do not like the like black suit. I feel like it just like, you're not fooling anyone. Why is like, what are you, what are you doing? Like, I just like, cause in, you know, Avenue Q, I, obviously there's people there and we see them whereas i know they try to hide sometimes in other puppetry stuff um but then there's like bodies like the body puppets which we talked about too and i just i just hate when they wear a black suit and they follow their puppets around i'd rather them just be there with their puppets and like show their face well i think that it worked pretty well for this production only because well like for in this instance i guess i should say because mm -hmm. they're doing these gargoyles who are these stone statues who don't really move and so it sort of created this yeah. like mm -hmm. they stayed in this moment and they were able to like bring it in and out kind of like you would with like the set pieces and stuff like that um, and then have them move yeah. in, you know, the limited ways in which they might versus like, I've seen other productions where it's just, and the, like the La Jolla production did it like this too, where they were just, it was just people doing them and they would sometimes, you know, mm -hmm. ouch down or whatever, do some kind of um, their static like pose that they were in whenever they were like not yeah. interacting. And so, you know, I don't know it's two totally different ways to approach it See, and I don't really have an issue with either of them it's just I don't know I find it interesting I don't have an issue with the idea of the puppet use I just don't like looking at that style of puppetry it's very personal not has nothing to do with choices but I do really like the way they did it in Lil Hay production because it kind of like shows you how like we have these static these statues that don't move but then they come to life and it's like you're seeing this from the same way Quasimodo does like this is how he's visualizing these people who come to life and do all this stuff and well like in the end you know that they're not real you know that they're statues and they're made of they're made of stone they're just there and I think it I think it just kind of like builds on the imagination and I like the I like the visual aspect of it but yeah. I agree there's not like a, a right or wrong way to do it on either of those um yeah and so it kept it like 
you know, they looked more like the cartoon gargoyles, you know, from the mm-hmm. movie kind of thing. Um, yeah, so it's just kind of I- interesting in the way that you can take one production and and see, you know, such different ways to to do it. God, it's like still one of my favorite shows. I love like the choir. And what was really cool about one of the productions that I saw is the amphitheater, like theater that they had. They had like these two side column areas that the choir could just sit in. And so it was like perfect um, for them to have, you know, the choir there versus like um, one production or I think both of the other productions that I saw kind of created um, like pews kind of Mm. thing. It kind of looked like that, but it was like two levels um, for them to just be sitting, you know, in the back all through the whole time. And then when they were doing like their things where it was like focused on them and the music, they would like stand up and be lit and then, for the rest of the show during all of the scenes they were still like sitting there and being in the back and so um i actually love that and kind of wish that we saw although i guess we saw something i was reading something about a uh, union rules or something for broadway and the choir and that's why it hasn't one of the reasons why it hasn't been on broadway yeah. because they um, didn't want to pay out the big the big cast including the full choir yeah but so. or like you well like union rules for whatever mm-hmm. that they need for like breaks and pay and all of that kind of stuff yeah. um so it obviously adds you know an extra expense but i think that it's just it sounds so beautiful um to have that to have that full choir yeah be and then and it brings that whole you know it's this cathedral you know set in this massive church like, it just reminds you of the religious aspect of it yeah. like so yeah. yeah it's just it's interesting the different ways that you can kind of do things and and play with things and yeah i just i think this is such a beautiful show and i just want to see it done more i think it does get done fairly often i think they make pretty good money based on you know licensing and and rights and stuff um but yeah it's got any chance you get to see it you should absolutely see it because it is just so beautiful um and yeah you can find the you can find the uh la jolla production on youtube so just watch it at home we will have to keep an eye out to see if it comes closer to home than edinburgh or vienna um so we can actually make it over there um but in the meantime while we're looking out we'll we'll notify you if it comes closer and you can learn that information by following us where noelle you can follow us on all of the social media at unseen artist org uh you can email us if you have any questions thoughts comments feelings whatever uh info at unseen artists.org Um, Or you can check out our website. We have some information about us. You can contact us. You can donate. You can do all sorts of things on our website uh, at unseenartists.org. So yeah, hit us up. We are here and we want to hear your thoughts and feelings. Yeah. And uh, in the meantime, I'm Courtney. And I'm Noelle. And we are Unseen Artists. Bye-bye.